Hello, hello, everyone. Thank you for uh, being here tonight. For those of you who chose to stay in here for the study in Amos. Once again, I just want to emphasize, I, I hope that it's been, been a blessing for you. It's been a great blessing for me to study it, to prepare to bring it. And uh, I just... Even even in the delivery, I, I have to be honest. When we were when we were singing the song, um, you know, maybe morning, maybe soon, maybe maybe evening, and maybe morning, maybe noon, maybe evening, and maybe soon. I was I was thinking, Lord, let it be right now. Let, let it be right now. I I I honestly I I'm more comfortable with the small groups. You know, the Sunday school setting, uh, small groups, no spotlights. Uh, no cameras, no microphone, just the the small setting, and um, so yeah, getting up here, hearing my own voice amplified, is just uh, ooh, <laughs> why me, Lord? Come back right now, please. And so anyhow, um, even even still, in spite of in spite of my nerves, in, in spite of uh, how much I I don't enjoy standing up in in that type of setting, I love the Word of God, and, and I, I just get so much out of um, sharing my notes with you. And so, anyhow, I ask that you'll turn in your Bibles to Amos chapter 5. We're going to continue in our study of the book of Amos. This is section number 5 out of 7. Tonight we're going to be talking about true worship and repentance. Um, as you guys all know, Time doesn't permit us to go verse by verse through all nine chapters from the book of Amos. And so since we're not able to do that, we're only covering the main points that the book covers. Um, Briefly, I'll recap the main points that we've covered so far. One, the Hebrews were living in a divided kingdom. So we, we established a historical context about what was going on. We had Judah in the south, Israel in the north. Both kingdoms were drifting away from God. The northern kingdom of Israel was worse. They were the worst of the two. They were just steadily getting worse and worse. It started off bad, and it just um, continued to get bad. You know, in the very beginning, Jeroboam the first, he was the first king of the divided kingdom of, of Israel. He set up a false worship system in the north, which included two temples with golden calves. Um, I had told you guys about that before, and I, I just wanted to go ahead and share some verses with you uh, for your own personal study, First Kings chapter twelve. I don't know whether or not you're you're taking notes. If you are, go ahead and jot that down. If you're not, yeah, good luck remembering it. First <laughs> uh, Kings chapter twelve verses twenty six through thirty one tell us about Jeroboam's motive when he established his own worship system in the north. Okay, his motive was that he wanted to keep the people there. Second uh, Chronicles chapter eleven. Verses 13 through 17 tell us that there were people who left the north to go to the south. When the kingdom split during the early days of the divided kingdom, there were people who left the north and went to Judah. The Levites were one of those people and others who wanted to stay faithful to God. They left the north and they went into Judah. Um, Another thing that we saw, Amos was a shepherd from Judah. He obeyed the call of God on his life to go into Israel to bring a message. Um, one of the things that we draw from that is that God can use any, any of us. Any one of us in this congregation uh, can be used by God to serve in any capacity that he calls us to do. You know, I mean, think about that. He, he, he left shepherding to go and deliver a message. Little did he know that his words would be in a book that people are studying over 2,000 years later. God can use anybody, all right? The only qualifications are that we have an obedient spirit and that we, that we allow God to have his will in our lives. Uh, another thing that we covered, one of the main points, is that God's authority is universal. His authority is universal. He didn't just preach to the Hebrews when God came, uh, when, when God came to Israel uh, in this message that Amos delivered. Um, his message of judgment came to the pagans as well. So that revealed to the world and future readers of the book of Amos that 
God doesn't just have um, authority over the Hebrews. God has authority over every human being on this planet. Okay, he's the almighty God, and his rulership extends over all nations. Um, The judgments to the pagans show us that God God didn't judge them. God didn't judge the pagans by the scriptures that were delivered to the Hebrews. Okay, God had rules that are written on the conscience of everybody. Okay, when, when God brought these messages to the pagans, he talked to them about things that are just universally accepted around the world, through all civilizations, things that we just know that you're not supposed to do. And God isn't going to judge. He doesn't need to judge the Gentiles based on Jewish or Christian scriptures. Okay, so those people who are like, well, you know, it's not fair that your God in your religious system that people are going to go to hell even though they've never even heard the gospel. God is fair, okay? The heavens themselves declare the glory of God. And when, when people stand in front of God and, and you know, they, there's not going to be somebody who's standing there and say, well, you know, no missionary ever came to me and told me the gospel. You know, nobody's going to be able to point the finger at God. Okay. He, he, he judges us based on what he puts on our hearts. And ultimately, our condemnation is based on the fact that we're condemned already. Okay. We're condemned already. Our sinful condition existed before we ever heard of Jesus. Okay. So you were condemned already. Jesus is an opportunity to be forgiven for that sinful condition. Amos condemned the injustices, the oppression, the corruption that was perpetrated by the political and religious leaders of Israel. Another thing that we draw out of our studies so far. Amos reminded the people of their godly heritage. God had been good to his people, and he reminded, of that, uh, reminded them of that over and over. God's been so good to his people. They had a good start with Jacob. He called them, you know, the, the house of Jacob. They, they had such a good, good start with Jacob. You remember Jacob, and Jacob met with God, how he wrestled with God. He got a hold of God, and he wrestled with him. The Bible's like, man, he just let, wouldn't let go. You know, like, like I, I'm not going not gonna to let go. And uh, God, God blessed him there. And Jacob had a covenant with God at that time. And God made, or Jacob made promises to God at that time. And then how far the people have fallen since then. They, they just completely left their heritage. And Amos is bringing them these messages of judgment, reminding them of what their history is and pointing out. He's, he's comparing that to, to the way they are now at the time that he's preaching to them. Um, they say that we're no longer talking about what we've covered. Now, uh, as, as I prepare to move into what we're studying tonight, I just want to say that um, there's a saying, and I'm sure most of you or all of you have heard it, um, power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Okay. In many instances, the people who have the power remain in power because of the consent of the people who they're oppressing. Okay. Now, that sounds contradictory, right? I don't want to be oppressed. I don't approve of the oppression that, that's... Uh, being lorded over me, that's being wielded over me. So let's go ahead and take a look at an oppressive society that exists right now on Earth, North Korea. North Korea is an extremely cruel place, right? If you were to to go to North Korea right now and you tried to be a missionary there, you would be executed. Okay, that's just what would happen to you. Um, There are 26 million people in North Korea. Their army is about a million people active duty, 7 million or, or 6 million in reserves. So a grand total of 7 million people who are trained to fight for North Korea. All of these people with weapons, all of these people who are trained, and they submit to the authority of that dictator. I mean, if they were to just decide to do right, they could easily free that country. They could make it a just and righteous place to live. Okay? But... The people who are oppressed are allowing their oppressors to have the rule. 
And we're going to find that's the case in Israel too. Uh, in the context of Israel, these wicked kings, the reason why they stayed in power is because of the people allowed it to be so. You know, they, they allowed it to be so. Um, think about First Kings. You, you remember the story of Elijah when Elijah was just feeling so down and he, he, he just wanted to die. And uh, he, he, he tells God, this is in First Kings chapter 19, when uh, he tells God, you know, I'm, I'm the only one left who's faithful to you. And he knew that he wasn't the only one left. He ran into Obadiah, and Obadiah is like, no, 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 I'm hiding a bunch of prophets. I'm keeping all these prophets safe. You know, and he's like, Obadiah, I need you to go and deliver a message. And he's like, you want me to die? You know, I'm not going to go to Ahab and, and talk to Ahab about, you know, he's going to kill me. I, here I am doing this thing. I've, I've got something to do. So he knew that he wasn't the only one. He knew that there were people who were still faithful to God, but, but that's how he felt. Okay, this complaint that he offered to God is how he felt. There were so many people who were corrupt that a prophet of God felt all alone. I mean, he was just surrounded by people who just said, yeah, it's all right. Our nation is burning down. Our, all, all these, the house of Jacob is wicked. You know, we've completely turned away from our scriptures. It's all right. We'll just keep on living that way. I mean, what a lonely place to be if you want to follow God. So anyway, this week we're looking at the people. We're looking at the false worship system, the lack of repentance that existed in Israel at this time. And it plagued the whole kingdom. So we're not just focusing on the leaders anymore. We're looking at everybody. So let's pray and we'll get into it. Father, I want to thank you so much for your word. I thank you for Amos and his obedience to you. And I thank you that we're able to learn from, um, from these messages. I, I, I beg you, Lord, that you would help me to keep these, these lessons um, in my mind and that, that I would never forget it. I know it's possible for me to be just like them. They had the scriptures too. It's possible for me to be just like them. And so I beg you to help me to do what's right. Same thing for everybody who's here. Just help us to get something out of your word and to, to be able to start applying it immediately to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, uh, again, Amos chapter 5, and um, let's, let's get going. Verse, verses 1 and 2 say, Hear you this, this word which I take up against you, even a lamentation, O house of Israel. The virgin of Israel is fallen. He shall no more rise. He's forsaken upon her land. There is none to raise her up. So Amos is letting the people know, like, this, this message of judgment that I'm bring it to, bringing to you, I'm bringing it in the form of a lamenta lamentation. A lamentation, you know, what does it mean to lament, to, to weep, to wail? You know, this is a great sorrow, okay? And he's letting them know that this message, nobody's happy about this. God's not happy to send this message to you. I'm not happy to deliver this message to you. This is bad news, okay? And uh, it, it makes me think of the people who would get up and characterize God as this, this God, of, God of wrath who, you know, just, just delights in the, the smoke that's coming up from hell for eternity, you know, and God just delights in it. He, he has no pleasure in the death of the wicked, okay? And, and this message of judgment is delivered to them in the form of a lamentation. Uh, the virgin of Israel is fallen. So he compares Israel to a fallen virgin, uh, Let's be careful about, about how graphic I want to get about this. The virginity is gone. Not willfully given, but taken by force. The virgin is fallen. He's comparing Israel to a victim of a, of a violent attack. All right, think about what Lot offered to those sodomites who were surrounding his house. He says, hey, I have two daughters here, here who've never known a man. Go ahead and take that. Take them. What a wicked offer. And, and Amos is comparing the people of Israel to somebody who has had their virginity forcefully taken from them. Okay. Now I want you to think about a victim of, viol of a violent attack. You know, if, if, if you were simply slapped, you could look at them in shock, be like, what's your problem, man? Maybe you can just immediately, depending on, on 
how aggressive you are and how much self-defense training you've had. Somebody slaps you, maybe your immediately response is going to be to slap them back and not stop slapping them, you know, until they're down on the ground and, and you confirm that they're not going to do it again. I don't know what your, your response is going to be, but somebody who's the victim of an attack like this, what, what Amos is comparing them to, the, the attack has already happened. The attack has already been carried out. Now you've got the victim sitting there. Usually the victim is astonished. They're shocked. Can't believe this happened. They're weeping. They don't know what to do next. They feel alone. And oftentimes they're going to sit there for a while until they come to their senses. Unless there's somebody present who comes along and helps them get up. Somebody who comes along and gives them assistance. All right. But Amos says there's nobody here to give you assistance. You are alone. You're alone. Uh, again, says the virgin of Israel has fallen. She'll no more rise. She's forsaken. There's none to raise her up. So this is, this is utter destruction that is, that is uh, being preached against Israel. Okay, spiritually speaking, Israel is just like that victim that we talked about. Um, For thus saith the Lord, the city that went out by a thousand, we're talking about war, we're talking about war, combat. So a city that went out by a thousand shall leave a hundred, and that which went forth by a hundred shall leave ten to the house of Israel. Remember, Amos talked to the people when he, when he delivered these judgments to all the pagans and he delivered the judgment to Judah and to Israel. One of the themes that was common to all of them was your defense systems are going to be taken away, right? That which you rely upon for your safety, you can't rely on it. It's unreliable, okay? The only thing that you can really count on is that God's promises are going to come to pass, Okay? And so you should be leaning on the Lord. And these people who go and, and would try to defend themselves, they, the, the city that goes out by a thousand, there's only going to be a hundred left. They go out by a hundred, there's only going to be ten left. Okay, so there's going to be very complete destruction after this event. Okay, but at least there's that hope that there's going to be ten percent left. Not exactly 10%, but it's just that, that promise. Remember that there's going to be a, a remnant of Israel left. Even in that message of judgment, you still have that glimmer of hope, right? Verses 4, 5, and 6. For thus saith the Lord unto the house of Israel, Seek ye me, and ye shall live. But seek not Bethel, nor enter into Gilgal, and pass not to Beersheba, for Gilgal shall surely go into captivity, and Bethel shall come to naught. Seek the Lord, and you shall live, lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph and devour it, and there be none to quench it in Bethel. So even in this message of imminent destruction, God's willing to accept the repentance. Seek me. <laughs> Seek me. Seek ye me, and you shall live. You know, I, I mean... He's telling them that destruction is coming, and, and we already know, looking back, that destruction took, took them over only a, a few decades later. But he's, he's telling them, you know, that, that, hey, there's still that hope. There's still that opportunity. You know, you can seek me. Ye shall live. He already knew what their, their decision was going to be. He already knew that they were going to choose to continue to live in wickedness. And he knows why. As we continue to read on tonight, we're going to see what their hearts are like. But he's telling them that you have an opportunity, right? Uh, there are people who would say that there's no free will. There are people who say, oh, you know, that, like your fate is sealed. Uh, your, your eternal destiny is predestined, okay? And these people tell you that, that you, if, if you're predestined to destruction, then you have no hope of repentance. And here God's been delivering messages of judgment and destruction, it would seem that it's written in stone, that, that it can't be turned back, right? But we see here that, no, it, it can be altered. You do have free will. If you seek me, you can change this judgment that I'm preaching against you. You can, you can relieve yourself of destruction if you would only seek me. Seek me and you'll live. 
the Israelites are given this freedom to choose whether or not they're going to turn to God. But history tells us and scriptures tell us that they chose not to. Okay? They had an opportunity to, to choose salvation. They chose wickedness and corruption. Uh, verse 6, if you take a look at verse 6, Seek the Lord and you shall live, lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph and devour it, and there be none to quench it in Bethel. Uh, the, the tech nerd in me sees that as, as programming language. You know, it's an if-then statement. Uh, there's that positive outcome. If you seek the Lord, then you shall live, right? But there's also that negative outcome. You know, sometimes the if-then if statements have a negative. And so it's implied here, but if you read the verse, you take a look at it, it's implied if you don't seek the Lord, you're going to be devoured. Moving on, uh, the next three verses. Ye who turn judgment to wormwood and leave off righteousness in the earth. Seek him that maketh the seven stars and Orion and turneth the shadow of death into the morning and maketh the day dark with night that calleth for the waters of the sea and poureth them out upon the face of the earth. The Lord is his name. That strengtheneth the spoiled against the strong so that the spoiled shall come against the fortress. Uh, wormwood. Wormwood. Verse 7 talks about wormwood. Wormwood is an herb. It's been used in medicine for centuries. Okay, and, it, you know, when, when you first read that, if you've read all of Scripture, you know, you, you might not think of that when you get to Revelation. You know, the brand-new Christian might, you know, just be reading through, and then they get to Revelation, and they, they might not go, Wormwood? I remember reading that when I studied Amos. They'll completely, like, won't even click. But in time, you remember things, right? And then you, you, you get to Amos again, and then you go, wormwood. I remember wormwood. You know, so what's that mean? What's the significance of that? So we're not talking right now about the apocalypse, right? This, this isn't talking about eschatology. It's not talking about end times. Wormwood is just a bitter herb that's been used in medicine for centuries, and he's saying that you're turning judgment into wormwood, and you leave off the righteous, righteousness and the earth. So, wormwood, although it's been used in medicine, untreated, pure raw wormwood can kill you. It's toxic. It can cause convulsions. Okay, I, I mean, it, it, it can be really bad for you. A pregnant woman who who consumes wormwood untreated, it, it has a chemical called thujone. Don't know whether or not you want to put that in your notes. It's not important. But um, that chemical can actually cause a pregnant woman to have a miscarriage. You know, I mean, it can kill your baby. <laughs> this, is, this is some serious stuff. And, and you have turned judgment into wormwood, right? The people have turned judgment into wormwood. So Amos is pointing out the injustice and corruption that exists in the land. Instead of upholding justice and righteousness, the people have corrupted them. Justice and righteousness are a joke in Israel. The seven stars, he says, the, he, he points out the seven stars in Orion. So the seven stars are a reference to Pleiades. You know, you think about the constellations. Pleiades are a cluster of stars in the Taurus constellation. Um, so even back then, you know, we, we, we knew the stars. Humanity studied the stars. We depended on the stars for navigation, for uh, knowing times. You know, it wasn't just sailors who were familiar with them. You know, even if you want to go from, think about Jonah traveling from the coast when he was spit up by the whale, traveling to Nineveh. Did he have GPS? No. He's traveling during the day. He knows where the sun is. He knows that the sun rises in the east, sets in the west. Therefore, he knows which direction is east. He knows which way to go. Nighttime comes. There's no sun to tell him which direction is east. How does he know how to travel east? He looks at the stars. He, the people needed to know the constellations. It was a part of their survival. Okay. Now, we look at constellations today, and we think of those people who think that their fate is somehow tied to it. You know, you think about the horoscopes and stuff. You know, as Christians, we laugh at the horoscopes because we know that the horoscopes are garbage, right? And so because we think, well, horoscopes are garbage, so ah, study the stars. I don't need to know that. They needed to know it back then. It was important to them back then. 
And he's telling them, you need to seek the Lord who made the stars. You, you depend on the stars to be able to get to where you need to go. There is a God who made them. There's a God who made them. Uh, he, he mentions Orion. Orion. That's a constellation all of its own. Um, when, when you go out and you look into the night sky, you can easily find Orion. You might not be, know the shape of Orion, but you can identify those three stars that make up Orion's belt. At least that part is familiar to you. you know, and, and Amos is, is, is pointing out those stars in the sky that we still see today and saying there is a maker behind all of that. You guys need to look to him, Jehovah. The God who created that is the God who loves you. The God who created all of that is more powerful than those silly little idols, those trinkets that you bow down to. Why would you worship a God that you made? I mean, you, you literally took this stone and you thought, I'll carve it. I made this thing. And now I set it down and I bow down to it and I ask it to answer my prayers. How foolish is that? But that's what they were doing. They were worshiping creations of their own hands. They were bringing sacrifices to these temples and treating these golden calves as if they were God. It's a bunch of garbage, this false religious system that they were practicing. And Amos is saying, no, no, no. Why don't you turn to the creator of it all? The one who's more powerful than all of it. He controls nature. You know, there, there is one who you can depend on, who can answer your prayers. You know, instead of bowing down to a stone, there is one who has the power to stop the rain or to pour out the rain. Why don't you go to him, okay? He's the one who's going to bring judgment on the wicked. And right now you are doing great wickedness. Uh, that, that last verse in, in that, that set of three, uh, it is tied. And uh, I just want to point it out again. Um, that strengtheneth the spoiled against the strong, so that the spoiled shall come against the fortress. What does that mean? That God that we just talked about, who's so powerful, that created everything, you want to know what he has the power to do? He has the power to take the people who are being spoiled, the victims of a war, that's being fought against them. They're the losers, all right? They are currently losing, and God has the power to take those people who are losing, the people who are being spoiled, right? All their riches are being taken away from them, and he has the power to take the spoiled and turn them, strengthen them against the strong. You were losing, but now you're winning. Why? Because the God who created the seven stars and Orion, that, that powerful God can give you strength. Not only can he turn your, your defeat into victory, remember, if you're being defeated and you're being spoiled, where is this victory taking place? All right. In order for any, any enemy to steal what America has, they're not defeating us on a foreign battlefield. They're defeating us here, right? They're defeating us here. The only way that you can steal our resources is to de defeat us here, right? And so we see here a couple of turns in the tide of war. One, we're no longer losing. Now we're winning, right? And two, take a look at the last part of that verse. The spoiled shall come against the fortress. Now, if, if we were losing here on our own soil, this fortress, now the spoiled are coming against the fortress. Our fortress? No, that would be silly. Like, you know, we, we, we just drove the enemy away. Now, everybody, let's go ahead and go gather in Washington, D.C. No, it, it, it says that we're going against the fortress, the enemy's fortress. So now we're taking the, we, we took the enemy to task. They're no longer spoiling us. They flee. They're going to their homeland. We're pursuing them, and we're getting victory against them in their land. And why? Why is this possible? Because of the Almighty God, who we're supposed to be serving, who we're supposed to be worshiping, who we're supposed to be defending on. The next verse is kind of sad. 
actually kind of sad. It's very sad. Very sad. Okay. Um, these people who are oppressed, these people who are allowing themselves to remain in oppression because of their corrupt leaders, right? Why? Why is it staying that way? Verse 10 tells us, they hate him that rebuketh in the gate. They abhor him that speaketh uprightly. And think about what's happening in America. If you go out and you preach righteousness, you preach that we should that we should com- put a complete ban on abortion. People are going to, they're just going to scream at you. They're going to tell you how wicked, how awful you are to take away a woman's sovereignty over her own body. Don't you know that's her body? Oh my goodness, they just screech at you. They're so angry, right? This is is reproductive health care. You want to preach against the sin of abortion and they tell you that that you're, you're somehow oppressing them. They hate it when we preach righteousness. You go out and you tell people that getting drunk is a sin. They're going to tell you that it's their freedom and that, hey, you know, America tried to put a total ban on alcohol once upon a time in American history. And look how that turned out. You know, all it led to was corruption. You know, you need to just allow us to have our booze. And who are you to judge it anyway? Even the Bible says that wine is a blessing. We've studied that in our church before, so we understand that God is not saying that alcoholic wine, alcoholic beverages are our four-hour consumption as a beverage, okay? Uh, Not at all. Not at all. Um, So you you go and you preach righteousness, and and think about any other forms of righteousness. What about... um, abstaining from any type of um, intimate relationships until you get married. Oh, my goodness. Even progressive Christians are saying, no, that's, that's, you don't understand what the Bible says. Just so long as you're faithful to that person, it's okay for you guys to do whatever you want. Even progressive, progressive churches are teaching that. So it should be no surprise to us that that slippery slope led to the point now that we have churches progressive churches that are saying that homosexuality isn't actually preached against in the Bible, that we're misinterpreting the passages that seem to indicate that homosexuality is a sin. And now we have progressive Christian churches. They call themselves Christian. They call themselves churches. They say that they worship God and they have homosexuals leading their church services. Should we really be surprised? They hate them that rebuketh in the gate, and they abhor him that speaketh uprightly. So the people choose not to turn to God. They don't want to turn to God. They hate the people who would preach a rebuke. They hate the people who would bring a message of upright living. That probably re- reminds you of something that you read in the New Testament, Second Timothy chapter 4. Remember that passage about the, you know, itching ears? You know, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4 tell us, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. In the New Testament, we're being told that it's going to get as bad as it was back then. Utter destruction came upon Israel and Paul wrote to Timothy that it's going to get that bad again. And as we look around in our society, we see that it's already that bad. Verses 11 and 12. For as much, therefore, as your treading is upon the poor, and you take from him burdens of wheat, you've built your your, uh, houses hewn of stone, but you shall not dwell in them. You've planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink wine of them. For I know your manifold transgressions and your mighty sins. They afflict the just. They take a bribe, and they turn aside the poor in the gate from their right. So Amos, once again, is criticizing the economic oppression of the poor. We've talked about that in other lessons, so we don't need to get in a whole lot of detail about that. But they were exploited by the wealthy elite. You know, and again, he's coming after them, right? He's telling them that, hey, those comforts that you're depending on, no, 
Don't depend on them. You can't count on them. You've built houses that you aren't even going to dwell in them. You've planted vineyards. You've planted gardens. You're never going to eat. You're never going to reap. You're never going to harvest from them. You're not going to get to enjoy it. It's not going to be a blessing for you. Okay? All this stuff that you've been doing for your own security is meaningless. It's worthless if you don't have God on your side. Okay? Uh, You know, store up for yourself what? Treasures in heaven. Treasures in heaven. We need to think about serving the Lord and storing up treasures in heaven. Because when we're storing up treasures on this, on this earth, we can count on it. It, it. it can be taken from us. It can fade away. Looking at verse 13 next. Therefore, the prudent shall keep silence in that time, for it's an evil time. So remember I pointed out what Elijah said. You know, he felt like he was all alone. But we know that he wasn't completely alone. There were people still in Israel. Among all that great wickedness, there were people in Israel who were upright. There were people who served the Lord, who wanted to do right. They were afraid, and they stayed quiet. Obadiah was hiding them in a cave. You know, and and, and lest you judge them too harshly, let's go ahead and and examine this verse a, a little closer. You know, there are people who were prudent. There were people who had wisdom, according to this verse. There are people in the land who have wisdom, but they're going to stay quiet. When you're surrounded by great wickedness, sometimes the best thing to do is keep your mouth shut. Now, you might think, well, safety is of the Lord. If I find myself at a pride rally, I'm going to stand there in the middle of that crowd and I'm going to yell out that their lifestyle is wickedness and they need to repent. Okay, good for you. I I hope that the Holy Spirit is the one that moved you to do that. Okay, but if the Holy Spirit doesn't move you to do that, sometimes the best thing to do is be like, I need to get out of this crowd. This crowd hates me, and they hate my God. They hate everything that I stand for, and I'm about to get pummeled if they find out who I am and who I serve. The prudent shall keep silence in that time, for it's an evil time. So these people are prudent, and they have that sense to stay quiet because they're surrounded by so much perverseness, so much wickedness, right? Why why would they stay quiet? Don't forget verse 10. We looked at verse 10. The people that they're surrounded by hate anyone who would preach righteousness, righteousness, okay? They hate it. They don't want to hear it. And so... You are prudent, and you're going to stay quiet. You're going to stay quiet. That corruption is just, man, I'm going to stay quiet. I pointed out in the beginning of the lesson that uh, there were people at the beginning of the divided kingdom, right? The kingdom was, they, they split, and there were people in the north who they said, you know what? The Levites are going down south. I, I think I'm going to follow them, right? And they left. They left. And Jeroboam the first, he's like, you know, everybody's going to leave. I I think I better set up some temples here in the north. That way they don't go to the south to worship. You know, otherwise everybody's going to leave. But there were people who stayed faithful to God and and, and they they just left. They didn't stick around and try to reform Israel. They just left. I want you to think about, anybody know when Reformation Day was? Don't worry, it's not a quiz. You know, uh, you don't have to raise your hand and answer. Uh, but it just passed. It just passed. Yeah, you know, uh, you know, uh, October thirty first, I think, was Reformation Day. And so, what are what are we remembering on Reformation Day? I know a lot of Baptists would tell you, no, Baptists aren't Protestants. Okay, I'm not going to get into uh, Baptist history, but Pastor is teaching about that and ask him for his notes about it. Uh, but we we do know who Martin Luther is, and we know what he tried to do. He tried to have a civil debate with the Catholic Church. He, he tried to say, hey, look, I see some problems that I think we should have a discussion about. Let's talk about it. Did he reform the church? No. No, he didn't. Instead, it led to the Pro- Protestant Reformation. There was, there, you, you can't change utter corruption. You know, only God can change absolute corruption, Right. And so here's a man who said, I want to I see change in my church. I want to see change in my church. I, I want to see my church do right. And so he goes and he confronts his re- religious leaders, and, and it, it just 
didn't work. All right. And so the same thing happened here. You know, you, you, you have the prudent who say, you know what? I think it's better for me to flee like a refugee and go somewhere else than to stick around here and try to stay, try to change things. That's how bad Israel was. Okay. But in spite of all that, we still see another opportunity for repentance. Verse 14 and 15, seek good and not evil that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, shall be with you as you have spoken. Hate the evil and love the good and establish judgment in the gate. It may be that the Lord, God of hosts, will be gracious unto the remnant of Joseph. The remnant of Joseph, uh, again, just a, a, another title, label, you know, the house of Jacob, the remnant of, of uh, Joseph. He's just talking about the children of Israel. Okay. Um, but, you know, it may be. It may be that the Lord, God of hosts, will be gracious. Remember the study of, of uh, Jonah and how the people of Nineveh were like, who knows, maybe God will be gracious to us if we repent. Maybe he'll, maybe he'll repent of the evil that he planned on doing to us. And here we have that same opportunity being given to the people of Israel. So these verses, again, make it very clear that the people have a path to restoration. All right. It's very clear. And he's telling them. You know, speak good, love good, establish judgment, do right, hate evil. You know, how about you guys do that instead of what you're currently doing? (laughs) And if you do that, if you would just get that change in your heart and do these things, then maybe God will show grace to you. And maybe he'll preserve a remnant in the house of Joseph. Therefore, the Lord, God of hosts, the Lord saith thus, Wailing shall be in the streets, in all streets, and they shall say in all the highways, Alas, alas, and they shall call the husbandmen to mourning, and such as are skillful of lamentation to wailing, and in all vineyards shall be wailing. For I will pass through thee, saith the Lord. Woe unto you that desire the day of the Lord. To what end is it for you? The day of the Lord is darkness and not light, as if a man did flee from a lion and a bear met him. Sorry. Think about what he said. You know, I hope, you know, Lord, won't you just come? Won't you just come? Well, if you're in great wickedness, why would you, in great wickedness, call on the Lord to come? You really don't want that to happen right now. You got, you got a picture of a guy who's running from a lion and, oh, it's eaten by a, by a bear. Uh, so anyway, and a, and, and a bear met him or, or went into the house and leaned his hand on the wall and a serpent bit him. Shall not the day of the Lord be darkness and not light, even very dark and no brightness in it? So these verses are emphasizing that judgment that is, that is uh, being preached to them, this great judgment that's coming their way if they don't turn from their wicked ways. So the book of Amos is only nine chapters. We already know we're not going to look at all nine chapters. We haven't, we haven't even looked at more than half of the book during our study. And how many times have we seen this theme uh, being given to them again and again and again that, hey, judgment's going to come if you don't turn from your wicked ways. Hey, you have an opportunity to repent. Numerous warnings of judgment, numerous opportunities for repentance. God is so merciful. God is so patient. You know, he's completely unlike us. He is holy and he's unique. He's so different than all of us. And he looks at us in our great wickedness and he says, I'll give you another chance. You want another chance? I'll give you another chance. You too. Hey, wait. You had another chance. That's all right. I've already forgotten about it. You get another chance too. Every one of us have that opportunity. It's just so wonderful how much he loves us, and we should be so grateful for it. People like to portray, you know, like like God, you know, well, when I read the Bible, I, I see that God of the Old Testament is different from the God of the New Testament. Really? Because what I see here is the same God who just constantly saying, hey, I have so much forgiveness available. I, I mean, like, if, if, if you could put forgiveness in a bag, right, and God was walking around with a bag of forgiveness, it would be spilling. And he's like, I, you guys, I have so much forgiveness. Who wants some? It's available to all of you. You want it? And nobody's taking it. They all say, no, 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 that's all right. I'm good. I like my sin. Verse 21, I hate, I despise your feast days, and I will not smell in your solemn assemblies. 
Though ye offer me burnt offerings and your meat offerings, I will not accept them. Neither will I regard the peace offerings of your fat beasts. Take thou away from me the noise of thy songs, for I will not hear the melody of thy vials. But let judgment run down as waters and righteousness as a mighty stream. You know, these verses, they, they, they speak pretty clearly for themselves. God despises false worship. You know, tonight, every, every night when we, when we get together for worship, what's one of the things that we always do as part of our tradition? We always begin worship with singing, right? Singing, prayer. We have prayer to start the service. We pray for the needs of, of, of uh, you know, the, the members. We, we pray for the meeting itself. You know, we read scripture. We pray some more. We dismiss. We pray some more. You know, we always go to the Lord in prayer. We always offer songs of praise, songs of worship, songs of adoration, right? Because he's almighty and he deserves to have our worship lifted up to him in prayer and in song. He's worthy of that, isn't he? But these people, it was all a show. It didn't mean anything to him. You know, look at that verse again. It reminds me of the, the way teens have been, I don't think they talk like this anymore. You know, I can't even, do they even talk like that anymore? Uh, probably not, right? That, that was a fad that passed. You know, but a few years ago, you know, that was, uh, I can't even with you. I hate, I despise your feast days. I, I mean, like, God is telling them, I can't even with you. You, know, you begin one sentence, and it's like, oh, so completely unhappy with you that I don't want to finish this thought. Let me go ahead and rephrase it. I despise your feast days. <laughs> he, he had mercy on them, even, even though he does hate what they're offering him. He says, all right, let me, let me soften, soften up this message a bit. I despise this garbage worship that you're bringing to me. <clears throat> There's some other verses that uh, drive this same point home about God's disdain for empty religious ritual. I'll read them to you. You feel free to turn to them if, if, if you're one of those people who's a champion Bible drill um, Master, then you can probably turn to them. Malachi chapter 1, verse 10 says, Who is there, even among you, that would shut the doors for naught? Uh, he's saying that he wishes that somebody would shut the doors at the temple. Who is there among you that would shut the doors for naught? Neither do ye kindle fire on mine altar for naught. I have no pleasure in you, saith the Lord of hosts, neither will I accept an offering at your hand. That passage is saying... I wish that you would just shut and lock the doors of the temple so that way well, you phonies would stop bringing your sacrifices to me. It's just a ritual, and you think that you can please me with it? It brings me no joy, and I don't accept it. Isaiah chapter 1, verses 11 through 15. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? I am full of the burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts. And I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of, the he, or of he goats. When you come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand to tread my courts? Who told you that you should do this, right? You learned somewhere that this is something that you should do. Haven't you learned why? You know, Bring no more, verse 13 continues, bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination unto me. God said that incense is an abomination to him, yet God is the one who instituted the use of incense in their worship system. He's pointing out to them that this thing that I created, you've turned it into a joke, and I don't accept the method of your worship. It's an abomination unto me. The new moons and the Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, I cannot away with. It's iniquity, even the solemn meeting, your new moons and your appointed feasts. My soul hateth. They're a trouble unto me. I'm weary to bear them. And when you spread forth your hands, you come to me like this. When you do that, I will hide my eyes from you. 
Yea, when you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. And then Matthew chapter 15, verses 7 through 9. This is Jesus. Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Here you have this religious system that they've just been repeating over and over. They're just caught up in this routine. They don't even think about the meaning behind it. Where did this tradition come from? Where did this institution come from? Why is there, why is there a labor in, in, the, uh, in, in the tabernacle? Why is that there? Why do we bring beasts? Why do we sacrifice blood? Why do, why do we do that? What, what's the meaning of this incense? Nah, they don't even think about it. They don't care. They don't care. All they know is that, hey, people are doing it. I'll go ahead and do it too. God doesn't accept that. Continuing on, we're at verse 25 now. Have you offered unto me sacrifices and offerings in the wilderness 40 years, O house of Israel? But you've borne the tabernacle of your Moloch and Shion, your images. Um, I, uh, I have a misspelling here in my notes, so I'm going to switch over here to, to the printed word. But you have borne the tabernacle of your Moloch and Chion, your images, the star of your God, which you made to yourselves. Therefore, will I cause you to go into captivity beyond Damascus, saith the Lord, whose name is the Lord of hosts. So verse 25 is a reminder of their past. Okay, it's, it's rhetorical. It's not meant to be, be answered. And, and it's not an accusation that, no, you guys were a, were a bunch of, a big old fraud out there in the wilderness. You know, have you, you, have you offered to me sacrifices and offerings in the wilderness 40 years, O house of Israel? You? That's your background? That's who you are? Your forefathers are the ones who followed me as I led them in a pillar of fire? At night, as a cloud of smoke by day, your ancestors are the ones who saw the great miracles that I performed. Your ancestors are the ones who followed me into the promised land and I drove out their enemies before him, before them. That's your ancestors? That's your heritage? Then what's your problem? How can it be that you have borne the tra- tabernacle of Moloch. I don't know if you guys remember Moloch. Moloch. Who's that God? That's the one that they offered burnt sacrifices to. Not animal burnt sacrifices, but their children. Their children. What a traumatic event that would be. You know, we celebrate newborns in our church. We all celebrate and we have meal trains to bring food to that family to, you know, give mom a break. Uh, that way they can go ahead and focus on caring for that new gift from God that they have in their family, right? Back then, these people took that little bundle of joy, that little blessing, and brought them to an altar to a false god and put that little baby into the fire. A burnt sacrifice to a pagan god. Therefore, will I cause you to go into captivity? Okay, so he's telling them, look, because of your persistent idolatry, because of your persistent disobedience, remember for three transgressions and for four, for your sin after sin after sin after sin, because you guys are so rotten, so messed up, you refuse to repent, I am going to send Israel into exile. So I feel like as we read through this verse by verse, We've already said a lot, and a lot of these verses really speak for themselves. So let's go ahead and wrap up. Let's begin wrapping up. Main points that we get from this chapter, false worship and hypocrisy in ancient Israel. It was a huge problem back then, a huge problem. Amos goes and describes this false worship for us, for them, you know, mainly for them. Remember, they're the audience. Uh, we, We just get to look back thousands of years later, you know, but... For all of us, this is described in great t- detail so that way we can understand what's going on. 
that we know why these people are being judged. Why would God be so harsh to these people? I thought he was a God of love. Read closely. He's pleading with them to accept his forgiveness. He is a God of love. These people of Israel, they, they, they were just caught up in this, this phony religious system. They, they, they didn't care about God. They didn't care about their creator. They, they, they drifted so far away from him. And they accepted the oppressive religious and political leadership that their country was being ruled by. They just, they, they put up with it. You know, they put up with it. And, you, you know, one of the things that ba- that's bad about that is when, when you're putting up with that, what do you do? I mean, okay, so if, if you're my oppressor, I don't like being oppressed. So what do I do when I see you, when I come into your presence? Long live the king. God bless the king. You know, I, I say nice things to them. I make them think that they're so wonderful. You know, I mean, so you see all throughout history, people always treating their, their dictators that way. You bow down to them. Why? Because of what they can do to you. But you know who's greater than that oppressor? <laughs> the Lord. And God is telling them, he, he's, look, you really ought to stop looking at what you can see with your eyes and start looking at what you can see with your spirit. Start looking at what you can see, what you feel, the drawing of my spirit on you, on your heart. But the, we, we see this in modern times too. All right. We see it in, in, in progressive Christianity, and sadly, we see this in so-called conservative Christian churches, too. Uh, we need to be careful of our worship. We need to be careful that when, when we come to the Lord and we're singing to God, that we keep in mind that he is the audience when we're singing. Okay, He is the audience. So, um, I don't know if you've ever heard it before, but... Uh, my voice has been used as an example several times in our church. Pastor Grandy has used my voice as an example in our, in our church. Pastor Trudell, um, Brother Orr, uh, <clears throat> have pointed out, uh, Brother Lewis, have all pointed out, and, and not, not in a cruel way because hey, <laughs> I, I can call a spade a spade. My voice is awful. <laughs> so when I'm singing during our worship service, I'm not trying to impress any one of you. I love you guys. I love worshiping with you guys. I love that we come to church with, together, that we have a common goal to see the kingdom of God spread throughout the earth. But you aren't my audience when I'm singing. God is my audience. And so if I'm standing behind you and you're thinking, would he just tone it down? It's a joyful noise. Instead of focusing on how awful my noise is, why don't you focus on the noise that you're supposed to be offering to the Lord? Okay. Our music, our entertainment, our relationships. Think about this. The second point that we're supposed to seek, we're supposed to seek God. We're supposed to seek good and not evil. Think about everything that you seek in your life. Think about that nest egg that, that, that you're trying to, to build up, you know, I, it is a good thing to plan for the future. It's a good thing to plan for your descendants. You know, what, what were one of the last things that David did as king of Israel? He ensured that Solomon had, he had a, a head start in the building of the tabernacle. He, he ensured that Solomon had a lot of supplies already available to him. David wasn't going to be the one to build the, the temple. Right? Solomon was going to be the one to build it, but at least David could ensure that his needs were met. And it's okay for you to take care of the, the needs of your kids, but do so with your eyes on the Lord, that he is the one who is ultimately that's going to bless you, that he is the one who's ultimately, ultimately going to bless your children. Safety's of the Lord. You know, as you're driving down the road and you're thinking, I need to be vigilant. Well, of course you need to be vigilant. But when you get to your destination safely, that wasn't you who got you to your destination safely. That was the Lord who did it for you. Okay? You have much to be thankful for. And when we have our pie prayer and praise service, just, just start thinking between now and then about all the things that we ought to be thankful for, that God has done for us, that God has provided for us. And 
if, if you have a hard time thinking, oh, like, what should I say? What am I thankful for? Just think about every achievement in your life that is a blessing of God. You know how to play the, play the piano? God gave you that gift. God gave you that ability. Hey, are you good at math? God gave you that blessing. God gave you intellect. Are you a nice person and people just enjoy your company? God gave you that pleasant demeanor. Hey, have you ever met a Christian who's not very pleasant to be around? I'm one of those, right? If you have a pleasant demeanor and people just naturally enjoy your company, thank the Lord for that, okay? Thank the Lord for that because, you know, that, that's, that's not something that, that people hold on to for their whole lives. Thank the Lord for it. And if you're thankful for it, then maybe he'll allow you to keep that sweet spirit all throughout your life. The importance, another, another thing that we see here that we saw in our study tonight, the importance of justice and righteousness. Um, look at everything that, that, that he said about the judgment that was coming upon them and why it was coming. Amos preached condemnation against those people who trample on the poor, that deprive the oppressed of justice. So he's connecting true worship with the pursuit of justice. If you want to worship God in integrity, in truth, if you want your worship to, uh, to, to the Lord to be accepted by him, then you need to be an advocate for what's right. Anything that you have the power to influence, if you have the power to influence what's right, then make sure that you exercise that power. Um, Ah, you know, I, I, I don't know how to give too many examples of that. Uh, you can probably think about examples in your own life, though. Um, in our modern society, sometimes it's, it's hard for us to see examples of those sins in our life. Sometimes it's hard to see the examples of those sins, especially in, in a smaller level, like, like in a small community like our church. You know, we can look at a national level and be like, look at how messed up our country is and how far away we've fallen from God. But, you know... We're talking about people who were followers of God here. This message of judgment was against the house of Jacob, against the remnant of Joseph. So this message of judgment applies to believers. So at a smaller scale in our church, sometimes it's hard to see how are, how are we wrong when it comes to this, you know? Well, I have a question for you. As you've lived your Christian life in the many churches that you've been a part of, you know, maybe there were reasons that you left churches that you used to be a part of in the past. Maybe there's, there's good reasons why you ended up here. Have you ever seen maybe people in your church just pouring out love and affection and adoration on this guy who has the power to stand behind a microphone and say, and I just want to take a moment to publicly thank Brother Joe Schmo." for the great kindness that he showed to my family this week when he came out and fixed such and such problem that I was having. People like you are a blessing to our church, Brother, Brother Schmo, and I wish that we had more believers like you. You know, when, when, you're, when you're repeatedly exposed to something like that, what are we, what are we being conditioned to think? We're being conditioned to think, oh, I'm supposed to do stuff like that. I'm supposed to do stuff like that. You know, Brother Schmo did a, a good thing for this religious leader in our, in our little hypothetical scenario right now, right? Um, and, and he was probably looking forward to the blessing that he's going to get from God, right? God is going to reward him for it. You know, and, and he did his little act of goodness in secret, and this public offering of thanks for that probably made Brother Schmo go, oh, man, there goes my reward, right? You, you know, and, and then you have all these people who go, I, I want public accolades. I want public recognition. What can I do for you? I want to do good things for you, too. And then it gets so bad that there are, I, I, I've been around, and uh, it gets so bad that there are religious leaders who can commit such gross sin within their church, they end up going to jail for it. Sins against members in their church, 
sins against the finances of their church, sins against the children in their church, and then just spiritual oppression, where they brag about how toxic they are. Well, I'm not a dictator, dictator, but I'm pretty darn close to it. I don't know whether or not any of you guys get that reference, if you're familiar with who said that in our circles, but... You know, these things aren't something that's supposed to be like, amen. We're not supposed to, we don't celebrate oppression. My friends, we're supposed to, we're supposed to celebrate righteousness and goodness. Okay. True worship. When we follow the Lord and not men, then we don't put up with corruption of God's righteousness. We don't put up with twisting of scriptures to, to elevate man. You know, we, we, we call it out when we see it, but not these people. No, these people, they, they, they followed it, and they said, oh, it's okay. It's okay. It's no big deal. And they hated it when somebody pointed out how wrong it was. What about, you know, I just used an example about people who pour out love and adoration to someone who has the power to um, bless them or publicly thank them for it. What about this? What about the people who don't have any ability to, th- to return the favor? Or the people in your life who have no ability to return the favor? What I mean is they're dirt poor. They'll never, you, you bought them a meal. And they will never be able to afford to buy one for you in return. You brought them gifts for Christmas and they will never be able to afford to bring you gifts for Christmas. Do you think that happens in churches today? Do you think that happens in good churches like ours today? I think it does. I think it does, and I think that we need to be careful that we don't allow it to happen at our hands. Okay? And you might think, well, you know, I don't have power to stop somebody else from doing it. Yeah, I've seen that happen. I don't have the power to change it. You have the power to not be guilty of it. You can start there, right? True worship and repentance. Amos 5. You read that thing, it's a powerful message, and it really emphasizes that God wants genuine worship from his people. Okay, I hate, I despise your feast days. So let's examine our hearts when we come to the Lord, when we come to church, when, not just when we come to church to the Lord, but when we're at home. When we're at home, you, you open your Bible at home. Do you do it because, oh man, it's a habit and I'm supposed to do it, or because you want to meet with the Lord? Let me tell you guys something. Your experience as a believer is supposed to be a constant pursuit of Christ, a constant pursuit of God, okay? You will serve the Lord as a natural byproduct of constantly pursuing and seeking God, okay? And you just set your eyes on him, and everything else is going to fall into place, all right? But the moment that we take our eyes off of him and we start thinking about the things that we need to do, the things that we want, our own personal ambitions. We start forgetting about his righteousness. We take our eyes off of him and we stop pursuing him. That's when we start to go, things start to go awry in our walk with him. Okay. So just make sure that we examine our hearts, constantly examine your hearts. You make sure that you do that and you're going to be okay. All right. So let's go ahead and pray.